The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. So everybody's worst fear, um, and as far as getting in front of people, I think is probably not the worst fear, but one of them is to get up here and have your fly be down, right? We know that's happened to Jeff before, obviously. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's true. Uh, so that's, that's probably one of the worst fears that you have getting up here. And so um, this morning I put my pants on. It was like five in the morning. You know, I wasn't really thinking very clearly. I put my pants on. I came, came into the church and I realized that this pair of pants in particular has this funny thing that it does. And maybe you guys have a pair of pants like this where your fly just, does, it just slowly starts to go down over the day. Like it's not, it's not that you left it down. It just goes down and on its own. I don't know why it does that. And so I'm about two hours into my morning and I'm setting up some gear up here and I, and I realize my fly's down. Oh my goodness. What am I going to do? I'm going to teach in front of 700 people. I can't have my fly down. So I go into my office and I grab a zip tie, <laughs> right? And I zip tie my fly up. Okay. So it's like a really good idea. Like this is, this will work. Now I don't have to stress about it. I can just teach. I don't have to think about it. Well, then an hour later, I've been drinking coffee all morning. <laughs> I gotta go to the bathroom, and now my fly is zip tied shut. We'll end it there. I figured it out. I'll just say that. I figured it out, okay? <laughs> I don't know why I shared that with you guys. Oh, we're family, right? All right, guys, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over there. What a journey it's been going through 2 Corinthians. So I want to open up this morning with a question. Just get our minds thinking a little bit. What's the first thing that you guys think of? You know what? Save that question. Let's pray. (laughs) I need Jesus right now so bad. God, uh, I thank you so much, Lord, that we can be a family this morning, that we can laugh, um, Lord, that we can come together and worship, Lord. It blessed my heart this morning as a worship leader to hear the church from the back just singing uh, and praising you. Um, I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for all those that are here. I thank you for those, God, that are visiting, Lord, those that have been here for season upon season, Lord, um, for those that have been so faithful here, God. And, and we need you, Jesus, as our chief apostle to speak truth into our life, Lord, that will change us from the inside out this morning. We need prophetic teaching, prophetic words of gospel to come in and refresh us and to show us how to live and to show us who we believe in, who we trust. So I pray, God, that you would use me, Lord, a fool and a sinner, um, to proclaim the greatest eternal truth that there is in the universe, uh, somehow through your scriptures, Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, question. What is the first thing that you think of when you hear the word authority? What is the first thing that you think of when you hear the word authority? Maybe some of you guys think about a judge. Maybe some of you think about a boss. Maybe some of you, you kids in here think about your parents. Some of you might think about our president, right? He's in an authoritative position, maybe a CEO of a company, someone who's been given authority. We all think about different things. The secular definition of the word authority is this, the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Okay, that sounds pretty good, right? Sort of the connotation that we have behind the secular thinking of authority is that it's a position of Greatness. It's a position that's better than others, and it's a position there for people to obey them, right? That's what we think of usually as authority, okay? We've all seen authority abused, right? We've all seen authority abused. We've all seen people take advantage of their position, um, an authoritative position, and actually try to usurp it over people in a way that's unhealthy. 
We've seen that happen within church leadership. We've seen that happen within families, within government, multiple different things. Now, there has to be a difference, right, between the authority that we see in the world and the authority that we see in the Bible. Would you agree with that? There has to be a difference between the authority, the biblical authority we're going to talk about this morning, and maybe the more secularized authority that we see out in the world every day. And that's my goal for today, okay? Through the text this morning, just to give you guys a direction where I'm going, I want to talk about the difference between biblical authority and secular authority. I want to talk about what the Bible says and how the Bible lays out that we as people, all of us, everyone in this room, are to be in positions of authority biblically and for Jesus, okay? That's the goal for today, to paint a better picture of biblical authority. Now, let me say this. This is not only for pastors. Absolutely not. This is not only for pastors. Every single one of us in this room is in a position of authority over someone. Everyone, whether it be with your kids, with your wife, whether it be uh, you manage a, a work crew, whether it be a CEO or, a, or an owner of a company, we all have authoritative positions, so this message applies to every single one of us. We need a healthy understanding of biblical authority. Okay, now before we get into the text, before we get to work, a little bit of biblical background here. So a lot of this is going to be review. You guys know a lot of this. Now, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, that's what we're studying through, 2 Corinthians, in Paul's second letter, uh, we find him having to defend his authority against a group that had come into the church with false teachings. Okay, so there's people infiltrating the church. These men have come into the church that Paul has birthed, that Paul has given the gospel, and they're, they're bringing false teaching in, and they're usurping and taking authority away from Paul. They're doing it in three ways. This is the oldest trick in the book. This is how Satan works through the church, okay? Three ways. They, first, they come in, they attack the leader, Okay? If they can attack the leader, they can attack the movement, right? They come in, they attack the leader, they make fun of Paul, they say that he's not really an apostle, he's not really of Jesus. They come in and say that he, his teaching is false, right? And then the second thing they do is they attack the doctrine. They attack his teaching. They say Paul's teaching isn't true, it's not real, it's not really from Jesus. And then the third thing they do, and this is, this is key, they replace it with false teaching. Okay? This is what Satan does and how he does it through false teachers in the church. Attacks the leadership, then he attacks the doctrine, and then he gives false doctrine. So this is the setting in which we find, uh, as we've been looking through for months now, 2 Corinthians. It's extremely important that we understand that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read this together. Now, if you're anything like me, when I read a big chunk of Scripture, my brain just clicks off, and I totally am okay with that. I understand that. We're going to go back through and work. But I want us to read the whole of the text just to get a little bit of, of context. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 7. Paul says this, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will be ashamed. I will not be ashamed, sorry. Verse 9, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, these false teachers say, verse 10, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, 
but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Verse 14, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we are the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Verse 16, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in others' area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I know that's a big chunk of scripture, okay? I know that it's long. Here's the roadmap, okay? Here's where we're going this morning. Um, what I want to do this morning, as I, uh, as I said in my intro, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at biblical authority, and I want to look at it from three different aspects. Three different aspects of Paul's biblical authority that we see in this chapter as he's defending it. Now, this is fun. All three of them start with the letter G, right? That's exciting. It gets better. I'm so proud of the title, okay? Uh, I'm not going to boast about it, but I'm going to boast about it. Um, the, this is the title of my message, okay? The three, okay, I forgot, hold on, I gotta look at it. The 3G service of biblical authority, okay? Anybody got cell phones that have 3G service? No, no, okay, oh, sorry. I, I talked to Josh about my sound guy about this this morning. He said, dude, you need to get with the times because 3G is like out. It's slow. So uh, I didn't have time to rewrite it to be a 4G or an LTE sermon. So I'm so sorry, I apologize, but for this morning, it's gonna be a 3G uh, the 3G service of biblical ministry. So, G number one. You guys ready? Ready to get to work? Everybody awake? Everybody excited? Okay, cool. Verse 17 and 18. Let's take a, look, a closer look at verse 17 and 18. Paul says, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. What's Paul saying here? Our first G of our 3G service of biblical authority is that authority is not taken, it is given, okay? It's not taken, it's given or granted, okay? They both start with G. Biblical authority is not taken, it is granted. Paul is saying that these men have come into Corinth, and rather than having been given the authority to the church, they've actually come in and usurped it. They've taken it for themselves. They've come in commending themselves, approved by themselves, and said that we will have authority in this church because we say we will have authority in this church, Biblical authority is not taken, okay? I've only been in, I'm 25 years old, okay? Um, 25, fresh out of the womb, right? Um, I don't know, is that too far? Sorry. Uh, anyways, 25 years, I've already seen a ton of this happen in the church. Even just a few years of ministry and, and, and many years in the church as a kid, I've seen this happen so many times where people come into the church usually being disgruntled from another church, they come into the church body, and they think of themselves as being very gifted. They think of themselves as being very competent biblically. They, they have this list of things that they've done, right? And they come into the church, and they usually want to be given a platform. They want to be given authority. They want to be given position. And they brag about themselves and talk about themselves to get to, get to this level that they want. When I was a kid, I went to a church of about 30 people. Okay? It was a small church. I loved it. It was the coolest thing. I love big churches too, but small churches are awesome. There's about 30 people, and we didn't have a lead pastor, but what we did as we had this team of, of core elders that were very wise and very discerning. We didn't have a lot of, like, gifted teachers, so these guys would peel off from other churches, and, and, and they would come into our church thinking, oh, this is a perfect opportunity for me to come in and be the head honcho here, 
to come in and have a platform to talk and rant and rave about whatever I want to and to have authority. They would come in and they would sort of boast about who they were and what they've done. And at first we'd sort of give them that platform. Then we realized that their teaching was wrong, so we'd have to kick them out the door. And then later we got more cautious. And as we got more cautious, it was interesting because we realized that after we didn't give them the platform, guess what they did? They left. They wanted the platform, they wanted to teach, they wanted to preach, they wanted the authority, they wanted to be a big shot, they wanted people to look up to them and think they're awesome, and we didn't give that to them, they peaced out. Why? Because they don't love the church. Okay, they're not coming in to genuinely grow and edify and nourish and lovingly pastor or lead a church. They're coming in because of their ego, right? This happens all the time. I saw this even as a kid. And what Paul is saying is these guys are coming into Corinth not because they love you or care about you. They're coming in and boasting about themselves. They're coming in and and talking about how awesome they are so they can get a position in the church that that puffs them up, that gives gives them pride. Look at verse 13. But we will not boast beyond limits, Paul says but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us. Okay, biblical authority is not taken, right? Biblical authority is given. Okay, it is given. And what Paul is saying here is that the authority that I have within the church at Corinth, I did not take it, it's been assigned to me. It's been given to me, Paul says. I'm supposed to be over you guys. I'm supposed to be leading you guys. This is where God has placed me. Now, let me ask you guys a question, okay? It makes it a little more personal, a little more practical. Who has God assigned you? Think about it. Who has God assigned you to be in a position of biblical authority over? Maybe it's your kids. No, not maybe it's your kids. If you have kids in here, okay? If you have kids in here, God has assigned you to be in biblical authority over those kids. Now, my mom, she's here. I love her. She's amazing. She taught me most, almost all of what I know about the Bible. My mom told me when I was a kid, and I thought it was so arrogant, but I realize now, that she was going to be the authority in my life because at some point I was going to have to answer to God. And so I needed to practice (laughs) what it's like having to answer to authority because when I grow up, I have to answer to God's authority. So my mom was that authority in my life, and my dad was that authority in my life. And they taught me the Bible, and they taught me about Jesus. If you have kids in here, you have been assigned You have been given authority over your kids to teach them the gospel, to teach them of who Jesus is. Maybe it's your wife. If you're a man in here, it's your wife. You are called to lead them. You are called to be the head of your house, to take them somewhere other than where you would just go if you stayed, to take them to a place of further knowing Jesus. You're called to be that authoritative role to your wife if you're a man in here. Maybe it's a friend that you have in your life. Maybe God has assigned for you to have someone in your life that you know looks up to you, that you know wants to hear your wisdom. And it's your calling, it's your assignment from the Lord to actually be that in someone's life. The list goes on. But the point I'm saying is that authority is not something that you decide, I want this authority. I want to be this in these people's life. It's something that's given to you. So we shouldn't just sit here and say, well, I want to be an authority in this position at some point in my life. You should say, well, what position of authority am I in right now? And am I walking in that? Am I flowing in that? As a pastor, you know, I, I, I really want to see this church grow. Because it's exciting, you know, and it is growing numerically. But I have to think about, I have to think about, I often ask myself this, am I, am I pastoring the people that are here? <laughs> am I being a steward of those that I'm assigned to right now? 
You know, we always want to see things get bigger, but at the same time, it's like, I need to be accountable for the people that are under, in, in this church already, and already leading, and already um, working with those people. Let me ask you another question. Who has God placed in a position of biblical authority over you? Okay, so not just who are you in a position of biblical authority over, but who are you in a position of biblical authority under? Who is over you? There's this temptation in Corinth, okay? There was this temptation here to bail out on Paul. Why? Well, because they were coming in and they were bringing a, a sort of a new gospel that it was enticing, it was exciting, it was tickling their ears. It was attractive, and so they, they were struggling. Well, maybe we shouldn't listen to Paul. Maybe we sh- should listen to these false teachers, They were bad-mouthing Paul, calling him weak, calling him a fake, a phony, saying his doctrine was not true. And there was sort of a a, a temptation there, otherwise Paul wouldn't take all the time to write this, a temptation to sort of peel off and say, I think we're done with Paul. I think we got some new leaders in our church now that seem to be a little bit more charismatic, a little bit more cool, whatever you want to call it. Let me say this, and it ties around. We live in a fast food culture. You know that? You can roll through McDonald's, and order your hamburger in like two minutes, and if it isn't what you like, you can send it back and literally drive across the street, they're always next to each other, I don't know why, you can drive across the street and go to another fast food restaurant and order the same kind of burger for the same price, and then if that one isn't what you like, you can just go to another one. I just, I just moved from Central Point to South Medford. I used to get my hair cut at the Quick Cuts there, and guess what I did when I moved to South Medford? I get it cut at the quick cuts down there. <laughs> it's just whatever's most convenient for me. And I'm, I'm not demonizing that. But we live in a different time. We live in a time where we aren't, there's not a lot of loyalty there. Like, yeah, I go to this guy. I've gone to this guy for all of my life. Uh, I eat here because those are my friends and I love them and, and I support that business. We don't live in that time period. We live in a time period of whatever's convenient, whatever's fastest, whatever works best for us in the moment. Okay, well, you say, how does that tie into Paul? Um, it ties in like this. We live in a culture that we just want to bail out on our leaders. We want to bail out on our church as soon as stuff gets hard, as soon as stuff gets rocky because we're in this fast food culture. Yeah, I love that church. Great guy. I love the pastor. Jeff's a great dude. But, you know, there wasn't enough seats on Sunday. Really frustrating, so I'm going to a different church. Like, your hamburger was bad, so you threw it back and went to another place. I mean, what are we doing here? This is the temptation of, 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 the, of the people in Corinth to do that with Paul, but but Paul was a little bit more in their life than just a fast food place. He was their father in the faith. Our sense of loyalty and duty and submission and longevity in church has almost completely disappeared. There's no church for life anymore. There's, I'll go here for a little while, and then when they make me mad or I get frustrated, I'll go to another place. We see this pop up in other places in our culture, right? In divorce and broken families. People aren't willing to stick it out with each other. To say, I don't care if there's more enticing things. I'm with you till the end. I'm gonna go far with you. I'm gonna live life with you. I'm gonna go through stuff with you, even if it gets hard. Grass is greener thing, it just doesn't happen. I had a conversation with a guy at our church a few months back, and, he's in, and we had lunch, and he said, hey, I think I'm gonna be, uh, my, my family and I are gonna be leaving the church. And I said, that's fine, totally fine. I don't, I don't get offended by that, that's great. Um, where are you going, why are you going there? We just need something new. I feel like our, our, our walk with God is getting, we just need something new. And I said, okay, that's fine. But let me just tell you this. You will not grow at that church. How long have you been here? Three years. Okay, you will not grow at that church for three years like you will grow here. Because they don't know you. They don't know what you're struggling with. They don't know how to exhort you. They don't know how to call you on your stuff. They don't know how to encourage you. They don't know your problems. They don't know your frustrations. 
I'm like, dude, I told this guy, I'm like, people here love you. People here are going to call you and see what's wrong and see how you're doing and minister to your heart. Don't just bail. Now, if you're feeling called to go to another church, that's totally fine. I'm not raining on that. But the, the point is, is we need longevity with each other in order to grow. That's how God designed it. It's like the difference between marriage and dating. Okay, when you're dating, you get very dressed up before you leave the house. All of your flaws, you hide them. And then you go to dinner and you say all the right things and, and then you go home and you have alone time to deal with your grumpy and, and frustrated attitudes and then you get happy and dressed up again and you go and hang out again. It's dating. Right? It's not real, is it? My wife had no idea what she was getting into. <laughs> I mean, when I'm grumpy, there's no hiding it. It's, 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 it's the morning, and I get up, and I'm frustrated, and I can't just say, hey, we'll go on a date later when I'm happy and dressed up. No, I'm in a bad mood, and she knows that she has to deal with it. That's marriage. But through marriage, through marriage, we change, don't we? Anyone that's married in here knows that you will never be sanctified more quickly than when you get married. Because you're forced to deal with your garbage. You're forced because it's out there. It's open. People can see it. Your wife knows when you're in a bad mood, so you have to deal with it. I can't just say, oh, forget that. Let me just get dressed up and we'll go have fun. No, I have to deal with it because it affects her, right? Now, this is what I'm saying here. There's importance and longevity in the church. We need time to see each other's flaws and not just bail out when things get hard, not just bail out when we get frustrated and someone says something defensive or, or so-and-so didn't ask me to coffee or he didn't shake my hand or whatever. We need that stuff because it shapes us. It causes us to grow, to change Paul says in verse 8 of our text, look at that. For even if I boast a little too much for, of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. What Paul's saying there is that the authority that I've been given is here to build you up. It's there to build you up. That's the point. Guys, listen, we need the local pastor there's a temptation in our culture, again, with like podcasts and things. I know it's tempting to only listen to the guy that has 20,000 congregants and 100,000 listeners and downloads a day. And he's awesome, and I listen to him too, and I learn a lot from him. But he cannot replace your local pastor. He cannot replace your local pastor. Now, I grew up listening to John MacArthur. If you guys love John MacArthur, he's awesome, dude. I mean, I swear I've heard more sermons from John MacArthur than anybody. I've learned a ton from him. I still resource him. I have his commentary set. Um, I, I constantly am using John MacArthur and listen to John MacArthur. He doesn't know me. He isn't praying for me. He isn't thinking about me when he's preparing his sermon. I'm not weighing on his heart when he's thinking about what God wants to prophetically say through the word. He's not going to call me up and say, hey, how you doing? I, you looked kind of bummed today when I saw you. Can I pray for you? What's going on? How's your marriage? How are you doing as a dad? He's not going to do any of that. No, great man, yes. But he cannot replace the local pastor cannot. It's of the utmost importance. We need it. Because we're blessed here. Je I swear Jeff didn't pay me to say this. I swear. We're blessed to have the pastor that we have. Because he's not only a good teacher and not really a good administrator, but he's a pastor. <laughs> when I come into the office and I look bummed, he asks me why. <laughs> when he knows that I'm going through a hard time, he'll call me, he'll text me, He'll take me out to lunch, whatever. He's a guy that cares about us and that loves us, and we need that. And he knows who we are. 
This is the way God designed the church to operate, not some kind of a fast food thing where we listen to podcasts and be part of something that no one even knows who we are. The longevity that we have within the church is huge. It's how we're sanctified. It's how we're changed. It's how we're grown. Amen? Second G. Okay, that was the longest one, I swear. These ones, these ones are all short. <laughs> Second G. Paul's authority was not only given, and given for a reason, Paul's authority was genuine. Look at verse 14 of our text. Paul's authority was genuine. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Listen, Paul had nothing to gain from them when he came to them. You realize that? Okay, now I have a one-year-old daughter. She's the cutest daughter in the whole world. She's so cute. Um, but the funny thing about her is she doesn't do anything to help out around the house. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, come on. I mean, I'm paying the bills. Uh, my wife and I were cleaning the house. I put her books back. She pulls them back down. You know, I put the Legos back. She pulls them back out. She doesn't do anything to contribute to our household. And it's frustrating. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. But seriously, she doesn't. Th- that's the reality of having a kid, right? When you have a kid, you realize this relationship has nothing to do with what I gain from them. Absolutely Nothing. It has everything to do with what God's doing in my heart through being able to love someone that can do nothing to repay me. Right? That's the reality of parenting. This child can do nothing to repay me. Now, that's the reality of the the relationship that Paul had with his church. When he found them, they weren't even believers. They weren't even Christians. They were just Gentiles living out a secular and worldly lifestyles. He found them and he gave them the gospel not so that he could get anything back simply because he loves them, because he wanted to see their joy be made full. 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, listen, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We need fathers in the faith. We need people that genuinely, there's the G, that genuinely love us and want best for us and want to see us thrive and grow for Jesus. Listen to what John Stott said. The authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but love. Not force, but example. Not coercion, but reasoned persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves and serve. Isn't that good? Paul says in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in the faith. We work with you for your joy. Paul's intention with them is merely that their joy would be full. We need genuine people like that. We need Paul's in our lives. I have a few friends in my life too, specifically that, that we have this really just tight group. We were roommates together. Again, longevity, right? We've been through stuff. <laughs> We've been through stuff. We got in arguments, got frustrated, had seasons of things happen in our lives. We, we've, we've been through seasons of life together, and now one of them goes to this church, the other one lives in Portland. Whenever we get a chance to get together, we get together. Me and one of the guys, we get together every week. It's a non-negotiable. We get together every week. When the other guy comes into town, we are together. Why? Because these guys build me up. Why do they build me up? Because they care about me. And they don't just care about me in a sense that they want to see me happy. They care about me in a sense that they want the deepest joy to come out, the gospel-centered joy, right? 
the things that can only happen in Jesus. Our wives love it when we get together because we come home and change diapers and clean the kitchen, and they're like, what happened? Because we encourage each other. We edify each other. We need those people in our lives, and we need to make it a non-negotiable to spend time with them. Our scope gets narrow. You guys ever hiked in the redwoods before? It's like, it's really easy to lose track of where you are. It's so dense and full of, of vegetation. If you were to get above it, though, you would just, you'd see where you were. You'd see where you were. We need people in our life to come into our life when our scope is narrow and to say, dude, I see this in a bigger scope because I have a higher view and I love you and I've seen you through seasons of life and now I can speak into you and tell you wisdom. We need those people in our life. Let me ask you this. Who do you lend your ear to? Who do you listen to in your life? Who do you, is, is it Facebook? Is it social media? Is it ABC News, Fox News, CNN? <laughs> I hear people sometimes just spouting off things that they've heard from Facebook like it's just true. And when I know it's ignorantly and obviously not true, I'm just like, who are we listening to? We need people in our life that aren't just going to tell us the newest buzz in social media, tell us the newest buzz in Hollywood, but that are going to soul search with us, look deep into our life and see and that know us and know what our struggles are and know where our weak points are and can point out how God's grace can minister to those things. That's the people that we need in our lives. Show me who you listen to. I'll show you who you'll be in five years. It's just true. If your main source of wisdom is coming from social media and coming from the news, you're going to spout that stuff off constantly. It's just a biblical truth. Let me ask you this. Are we willing to be discerning for someone else? Not only are we willing to receive that, but are we willing to be that for someone else? Listen, guys, it's not just the pastor's job. Okay, Jeff's been preaching this forever. This is so important. It's not just the pastor's job. It's all of our jobs because the new, the new covenant is that we are a kingdom of priests. We're all to be ministering now, right? Ask yourself these questions. Are you willing to be that discernment for those people in your life? Are you willing to go through long and hard seasons of life with the same people, even if they frustrate you to death? Even if you just want to bail out, I'm done. I'm going to find new friends, find a new church, find a new leader. I don't like this. Are you willing to go through seasons and long seasons so that you can be that person for someone else, like Paul? Are you willing to take the time to listen to the thought processes of those who you love and bring things to the surface that they don't see? Are you willing to warn those you love? This is a big one. Are you willing to warn those you love of what might come and lead them astray? Quick story. Uh, when I lived in Wairika, I did some ministry um, just as uh, just a part-time thing and, and volunteer, and I did a lot of work with the, the juvenile hall, and the juvenile hall and our youth group were like all the same kids. So these kids were like in and out of juvenile hall constantly. It's what they, it's what they did. They, they went to school in juvenile hall. Their friends were in juvenile hall. And one of these kids in particular just really, he really like had a piece of my heart. You know what I mean? He's only three or four years younger than me, but his brothers were all in prison, constantly fighting, constantly smoking weed, just constantly in and out of juvenile hall. And I remember one Tuesday night at youth group, he got saved. So exciting. And instantly, I mean, I cried, and I don't cry a lot. <laughs> I cried. And I was just so excited to see this kid get saved, right? And I got to walk through him with life, give him some commentaries, had him over to my house every night, gave him rides, taught him about Jesus, taught him theology. And then he moved to Medford. Now, I live down in Southern California, so he moved up to Medford, and I sort of got disconnected from him. And then he started going to a church. And I'm not going to say this church is evil or anything, but the, 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 the doctrine that they were teaching him was false. And it, and, and it screwed him up. <laughs> it completely screwed him up. He did not know what to do with or how to deal with the sovereignty of God. He just didn't know how to deal with it. And I tried, and other people tried to work it with him, but it was already, the damage was already done. I still believe he's saved. I still believe he loves Jesus. He's in prison right now because a few years back, he stabbed another kid in Hawthorne Park. That was heartbreaking. Now, why do I say that? I say that to see, I wish I would have been there a little earlier 
and discerning to say, dude, I don't think this is the right place for you to be. This is going to screw with your head. You need solid teaching. You need biblical theology, not something that's going to mess you up. I wish I would have been there before that, right? Who do we have in our life that we're in a position of authority over that we can be discerning for? We can step in and say, this is maybe not the best idea. We need to be there for them in that way, in a loving way. Okay, third G. You guys ready? You guys are like, I'm hungry, it's lunchtime. Me too. We're almost there. Third G. So not only was Paul's authority given, right? Not only was Paul's authority genuine, but Paul's authority, and this is the most important one, listen, Paul's authority was gospel-centered. It was gospel-centered. Look at verse 12 of our text. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. The New Living Translation is actually helpful with this one. It says, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. So this verse gives us sort of a clue into how this false teaching was taking so much root in Corinth. They're comparing themselves. These false teachers that are coming in, they're comparing themselves only with themselves. Now listen, guys, this is important. At the very core of most, if not all, heretical teaching, cults, whatever you want to say, at the very core of most heretical teaching is someone who created a system of thinking based off of inaccurate comparisons. What does that mean? That means that someone decided they were going to decide what truth was, based off of the things that they have seen and understood. These people say things like this. Quote, I have seen good people in other religions, therefore there must be more than one way to heaven. Okay, that sounds good, right? Maybe you thought, I've thought that before. It seems like there's good people out there. But you're looking through a narrow scope. You're looking at only what you can compare with yourself around you. You're only looking at the people that you think are good, but if you look at the scriptures, you have a broader view and you realize that no one is good, Right? People say things like this, I know good people that aren't Christians, so hell must not exist. God wouldn't do that. Again, you're looking through a narrow scope. We need more wisdom to come up with these kinds of things. Uh, How about this one? Uh, I have friends that, um, hopefully I don't get sent to prison for this one. I have friends that are homosexuals. The Bible must mean something else when it talks about homosexuality. Because that guy's a really nice guy. The Bible must not be talking about the same thing. So you're building your theology, you're building your doctrine, you're building your philosophy out of what you're seeing. Now that's false because guess what? My range, my scope of what I understand and know is small. (laughs) I need something bigger than that. I need something broader than that to help me determine and understand what truth is. We have to receive truth from a greater scope than ours. The one that has all wisdom and prudence and knowledge in the universe has told us what truth is. What these arrogant false teachers have come into the church and done is built their own theology by comparing themselves and comparing what they see around them. And it's false. Our natural inclination is always to build our theology and philosophy in life based on what we see. But listen, guys. Listen. Understanding the gospel starts with an understanding that we have no wisdom. That we have no wisdom. Gospel-centered authority Starts with reminding those that we're in authority over constantly that it's not what you think, it's not what you think, it's not what you want, it's not what you discern, it's what God has discerned. Because he has all wisdom and all knowledge and he has an eternal scope from which to decide what truth is. He created truth. Let me give an example and then we'll close. If I went to a village somewhere, 
that was only inhabited by fourth graders. You guys got that? And this village loves basketball. They're all about basketball, okay? And I come in and I'm like, sweet, can I play? Now, I'm not a baller, okay? <laughs> I'm not a baller, but I played some ball, you know, in the day, back in the day. Uh, and so I get the ball and I get on the court and I'm just like dominating these guys. Their rim's only like this tall, so I'm just slam dunking over the top of them. And they just like worship me, right? They're like, you're awesome. You're the best basketball player ever. And they put jerseys with my name, Peck, on the back. I don't know why anyone would do that. Peck on the back, right? And, they, they, and then I write a book because I'm so good at basketball. I'm, I write a book about how awesome I am. And I put in this book uh, the three Gs of how to be a good basketball player, right? Um, and, and how to slam dunk over the top of people. And I have this following, right, of people that think I'm awesome and, and they want to know how to dominate on the court. Of course, they're all four feet tall. But then I leave this village and I go into the real world and I play someone my own size and I get stomped. <laughs> Better yet, I go play someone in the NBA. I don't even get the ball. I'm like, I can't even dribble. This guy keeps taking it from me. What's the deal? These guys are coming in and they're comparing their understanding and their theology with inaccurate comparisons. They're comparing themselves with inaccurate comparisons. And Paul is saying to these ignorant and young believers that he has birthed the gospel into, don't buy it. It's not accurate. I know that guy thinks he's awesome because these, these guys are all four feet tall, but he's not. <laughs> we need a better scope. We need more discernment. Paul says in verse 5, we looked at this last week, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against what? The knowledge of God. They were raising lofty opinions, these false teachers were coming and saying, I know, I think, I want this to be true, so therefore it's true, comparing it only with themselves. Now, what is the gospel and why is it important? Why is it important that we have gospel-centered authority like Paul had? What sets Christianity apart? Christianity is the only religion that is unattainable. You know that? If you want to be a Muslim, if you want to be a Jehovah's Witness, it's attainable. It's possible. Muslims believe you have everything you need within you to go and to, to live a good life. God's given you that. Christianity, on the opposite, says, paints a picture of something that is unattainable. It's impossible. Right? The Old Testament law, impossible. Jesus won up the bar, right? Impossible. It's not able to happen. This is the beginning of the gospel. Now, the good news of that, right, is that Jesus created a way. The rich young ruler, the, 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 the disciples, apostles, whatever, they're standing there watching Jesus talk to this rich young ruler, this guy that had it all together, that followed the law from birth, right? And Jesus says, how hard is it to enter, a rich man entering the kingdom? And the disciples say, if this guy can't get in, how can we get in? Where Jesus responds, what's impossible with men is impossible with God. Or how about hours before Jesus is about to go to the cross and everything's about to go crazy and Jesus pulls together his disciples to have this quick pep talk and he says, I gotta talk to you guys, I gotta encourage you and then he says, you're all gonna fail me. That's Christianity. That is Christianity. You will fail, you will fall short, you will screw up, you will not do it right. Now, what is gospel-centered authority? It's someone coming into that person's life and reminding them of that and then not leaving them there but saying, but look what Jesus has done to take you here. And it's all because of him. 
And it's rooted in humility. The, 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 the false gospel that was being taught to Corinth had nothing to do with humility. It was entirely built on pride, just like every false religion is. Christianity is entirely built on humility. That's why the Muslims think that we're weak, because we depend on a grace of a God to save us. It's all that we have. C.S. Lewis says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. The gospel starts with looking up, not looking down on others, not comparing yourself with others. It's about gospel awareness, understanding that it's only by his grace. And in that, our joy is made full, we are made whole. This is biblical leadership. This is what Jeff and Jeremy and Brent, all of us, that we, we strive to do from the pulpit, we strive to do as we lead this church, is to lead you guys not only because we've been given that position or not only because uh, we genuinely love you guys, but most importantly, to lead you guys in gospel-centered authority that reminds us all of our weakness and our dependency on the grace of God because it's only in that place that we can be made full only in that place where we realize and are reminded of. So, back to my beginning thought here. Who do you have in your life that you're in a position of authority over? Your number one task is to remind them that they are nothing without God. Not to puff them up, not to make them feel good about themselves, but to remind them of the grace of God, to point them to the grace of God because that is where their joy will be made whole. Amen? Three G's of, 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 of service. <laughs> what are they? It's given, it's genuine, it's gospel-centered. Amen? Okay, let's stand and pray. Jesus, you're the ultimate example of authority. I thank you so much, Lord, this morning that we could look at uh, what it really is to humbly serve each other, to stick it out with each other, to live real life with each other, to encourage, exhort, equip each other, to remind each other of the gospel. And Lord, and I pray that as we go from here, this wouldn't just be a sermon that slips into the abyss of our minds and we forget, but this would take root in our heart and that we would be looking even today to walk in biblical authority with our kids, with our wives, with those that work for us, that look up to us, God. Give us specific application today that we can walk this out. Lord, may this not be a thing of bondage or guilt or shame, another thing to do, Lord, but I pray that we would be working out of our thankfulness in your grace and what you've provided for us, and out of that, God, that we would assume these roles of biblical authority in a way that would give you glory and give you honor. Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you that you're the pastor, Because if it was us, we would screw it up every time. So Jesus, lead this church, take the reins, and teach us how to look like you, God. Make us humble men and humble women that are gospel-centered, that are genuinely loving, and that are called to a specific calling, Lord. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.